cross oh. comes in. White with the header. Oh. And here comes Whitehead. It's gold for Great Britain. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another Track and Ball podcast with myself, Richard Whitehead. And myself, Ellen White. Now, today we are joined by a reigning six times world champion. Our guest is described as an icon, a genius, a maverick of his game. Also, a rebel that's unpredictable, outspoken, and also controversy follows him around. But today, we want to hear from the real Ronnie O'Sullivan. Richard, how are you doing? How's it going, mate? You all right? Yeah, hey, Ronnie. Hey, you okay? How relaxed he looks. What? <laughs> he's just chilling oh, out. He's chilling it's out. It's chilling. How's things, mate? You all right? You good? Yeah. yeah, everything's good. Yeah, yeah. I literally just got out of the shower, mate. Just had a shower. Mate, you look, you look great as well. You look about 30 years old. Are you serious? I've just gone back into me running. That's why. Since since the lockdown happened, I sort of got back into me running. I've lost a bit. Mate, you're like, looking slim, mate. I feel all right. I feel, I feel bed. Ah, a thoroughbred. Look at all. Oh no, yeah. So yeah, no, I feel all right at the moment. I'm enjoying my my fitness and my training and my slow running. I call it like I'm, I'm like a bit of a plodder. But I enjoy it's, it. that's time for yourself, yeah. though, isn't it? It's time to like process mm. everything and. Yeah, well, I used to. Be, when I say I used to be all right, I mean I used to run for a club and used to do quite a lot of cross country races. Going back, I, I got all my PBs in two thousand and nine. So. Uh, I, I was a 10k uh, cross country runner, so I got I got like 34, 50 for 10k on the road, which I was nice. really, I was nice. happy with that, considering I was only doing like 30, 35 miles a week, which is not a lot really. Um, nice. Yeah, but I'm nowhere near that now. I've like 11 years on and 10 years without running. My body's changed and I've become a bit bit of a lump. So uh, just trying to get back into it really. Like mm, that thoroughbred you said, Richard. I need to become that thoroughbred again. <laughs> That's right. That's the new Ronnie O'Sullivan, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. So to, so, so to start us off, Ronnie, I just want to know, like, I've always re- researching kind of guests and I always find, like, intriguing stories. Um, mm. But obviously not everything you read is true. Um, so... <laughs> Wikipedia, man. It's the curse of people, isn't I it? I can try and deny it, but a lot of it's quite true. <laughs> well, that's, that's, that's what I was going to say. What's the most ridiculous story headline that you've ever read about yourself? Uh... To be honest with you, they don't really write much about me these days. It was quite a long time ago. When I was younger, then obviously I was kind of portrayed as this bad boy of the Green Bays and all that sort of thing. And my, my mistake really was I never kind of like batted it back and said, said well, that's not quite true. You know, I just kind of mm-hmm. let it go and just tried to focus on my snooker. And I think in hindsight, I probably should have um, tried to put the record straight, but I haven't. But it's, it's so... It was so many years ago about mm, certain stuff yeah. that, you know, I've, I kind of like forgot a lot of it, to be honest with you, really. And yeah. I think the last sort of, since I stopped drinking and sort of smoking a bit of cannabis, which I used to do up until about 2000, I think I've kind of just stayed under the radar and, you know, just focused on my sport and on my snooker. Yeah. And they haven't really had much to write about because I've stayed out at the nightclubs and I've stayed out at the car crashes. Stayed and out of all that string fellows and all that jazz, right? Yeah, like when you don't drink and you don't do all that sort of stuff, you become quite boring. But actually, <laughs> since I've become boring, Ronnie, I've become happier. It's quite yeah. weird. Yeah. 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 I found and at that, at that stage of your life, would you say you were just kind of getting getting kind of caught up in with the kind of the whirlwind of who who people perceived you were and not actually trying to be yourself at that point i think it was hard for me because my dad got put away for murder when i was like just 16 basically for 20 years and he was like a massive rock rock to me you know he was like Mm. um a bit like serena williams's dad was to her you know they were sort of massive influence on their life and my dad was like that for me um, so for him to go away when I was 16, I, I kind of just, I, I couldn't deal with it. It was like a massive, in some ways, a death would have been easier because you could go, okay, mm. he's gone. I can like, you know, but knowing he was still there and I was visiting him for 20 years, I could say the first five or six years, I just, I just lost the plot really, you know. Mm. And, um, and then my mum got put in prison when I was like 17, 18, something around then. And I just kind of just got, I just lost, I just lost it, you know. I got caught up in a wrong crowd, if you like. Mm. Not, not, not the wrong crowd. I, sh- I, I shouldn't blame anyone. I, I kind of, 
I was a bit of the instigator of it as well. You know, I kind of like made that mm. decision. You know, I want to block, you, block something but, out of my life. But that part of your life, you were kind of learning as you were, you were kind of, you weren't, you, you weren't exposed to that kind of environment, were you? This kind of stardom. So obviously it was new to you. So it was a bit of a shock to the system, right? Yeah, I think so. I think so. Yeah, I think obviously, you know, um, when you're young, you're kind of maybe a little bit naive. And, you know, I was 17, had a bit of money and a few of my friends, you know, you know, I, I, like, like looking back, if I was looking back now at, at me as a 17, 18 year old, I'd go, Ron, stay away from them people, keep your head down. They're not really got your best interest at heart. Yeah. You know? But at the time, you kind of get caught up in it and, you know, and uh, yeah, you just kind of go along with it. So, yeah, I suppose kind of doing well for yourself and a combination of my dad going away probably was the worst thing that could have happened really do you know what i mean if he, yeah. if he was out it wouldn't have happened you know he just, no he wouldn't have suffered. so so if we take you back now to like your earliest memories of, of snooker what were how, how did you get involved in that game and was it kind of just a as soon as you picked up the cue you were like instantly bang this is who i am this is what i'm going to be and did you have like role models at that time to to aspire to be like? Well, I, I loved all sport. Like even at school, I'd play football, I'd play cricket, I'd play tennis, I'd play golf. You know, I was I, I just loved all sports. Um, but I just think snooker kind of grabbed me um, in a way that none of the other games did. So like, if I was playing football on a Saturday, all I was thinking about, I just want to get to the snooker club to play snooker in the evening. So yeah. I think snooker was the one. That snooker chose me in many ways. It's like I didn't have a choice in it. Um, yeah. And I think it's like anyone that plays sport when they're younger, you just, you know, I, I travelled a lot. I played a lot of junior competitions, a lot of amateur tournaments. And, and any moment that I had free um, was spent playing snooker. You know, I didn't, I didn't, you know, I didn't want to do anything else, you know. Um, obviously, I had to go to school and I kind of done the bare minimum there, really. But most of my time yeah. was spent in my back garden playing snooker against other other players. You know, who who introduced you to snooker? Like, can you remember? Yeah, it started off with, at my cousin. My cousin had a little table at his house, so every time I went over there, I'd hit a few balls, and I think my dad noticed that and bought me a table for Christmas. Um, I think he kind of like it was like a double present, one for me and one for him <laughs> to play. <laughs> As the dad, you always want to be involved with the presents, mate. I tell you, I've got a little boy myself. <laughs> he was on more than me, you know. Like I'd, I'd have to go to bed, and all I could hear was balls being potted downstairs. And I think, shit, I want to be like, I don't want to be in bed. I want to be downstairs playing playing ball with my dad. <laughs> but yeah, no, I loved it. You know, I loved it, and that was my my first memories really of playing. Um, yeah. So role model really was like you. Yeah your parents and and um and kind of he did, was was he somebody that then encouraged you to play more with snooker and did did he did he see a path because obviously ac academically you weren't you weren't that gifted so did he see that snooker was a pathway for you yeah i think i think what, what one thing he liked about snooker was is that he used to work a lot in london so he he used to drop me off at the snooker club and um i said like why why was it snooker you know he said he said well the one of the reasons why he said i could drop you off he said, I knew you was off the streets. He said, I knew you were safe. He said, you was mm. playing a sport that you loved. He said, I just thought it was a, it was like a like a crash in many ways. You know, he said, I knew you was, you was okay. So that was that was his sort of thinking behind sort of encouraging me to get in snooker. And and I think, I think my dad' big influence was that, you know, I, as a kid, I had a tendency to be a bit naughty, but he was kind of like, he was quite tough on me. Do you know what I mean? He'd make bit me, of a rebel. Yeah, it'd make me toe the line a bit, you know. He'd get reports back from, like, he'd be out all day and he'd come back and they'd go, Coy, you've got to have a word with your boy, you know, he's effing, <laughs> he's cue, you know, like this and that. So, you know, he 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 would quickly sort of like tell me that that, that wasn't the way to behave, you know. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. So, obviously, we're living in a global pandemic, as everyone knows. But yeah. how, how is that, like, affecting you, obviously? being a single dad like being able to see the family as much as you kind of wanted to like zoom calls facetime that type of thing yeah no listen i mean i, I just think i think you, as a sports person you learn to adapt you know you learn to mm. reinvent yourself you learn to just make the best of any situation and just give it your best that you can so i think you know this is no different you, you have to learn to adapt you know and yeah i've seen the children and, 
and they're fine. And probably, I obviously haven't seen as much as them, um, but mm. I'd like to. But you know, they're they're, they're good, you know, and um, they call me when they need me and text me whatever. Yeah, so, yeah as long as they're okay, you know, and everyone's are healthy. They, which is are they budding snooker players? No, um, my little boy was when he was a kid. Um, when he was younger, he wanted to be obviously playing snooker like I was. But then he kind of got into football, which I was happy okay. about. You know, I thought I always wanted him to be in an outdoor sport. In yeah. The future. I didn't want him to play snooker. Um, you, you don't support a good team, though, do you? Oh. Arsenal. <laughs> he's, I'm he's a Spurs a fan. He's a Tottenham oh, fan. He's a Spurs. Okay. Ellen's, yeah. Ellen's, Ellen's West Ham. Yeah, that's even worse. Yeah, I have to admit, I'm not a real big football fan either, though. But I do like watching some of the big games. You know, that that match of the day is great. I'm I'm not really. I couldn't tell you. We go to a game when when it's back, mate. We go to a game. We all go to a game. Yeah. I I couldn't tell you who's top of the league at the moment. Put it that way. No. No. I wouldn't have a clue. It's definitely not Arsenal, mate. Let me just let you know that's definitely not, not Arsenal. Yeah, okay. I thought they were doing all right. They're doing all right, to be fair. I heard West Ham the other day. They were 3-0 down and come back to 3 all. Yeah, guess who against? Against Spurs. I'm still hurting. Like, it's it's Wednesday now, and that happened on Sunday. I'm still hurting. I'm still, uh, mate, I, I um, didn't listen. text him. I didn't text him after the game. I thought he would be fuming. Really? <laughs> oh, he's should have <laughs> oh, I should have been right. Yeah. Have you have you got um you got a table at home? Do you is it something that you no. you, you you know? And that's is, is that a good thing for you mentally? Yeah, I made that mistake once, and you just kind of never get out of the house. And you know, and when I used to put my cue down for the day, you know, there'd be like part of me itching to sort of like try something out on the table. So I'd go in there for like maybe five ten minutes. That five ten minutes turned into like three hours, and I thought yeah. this ain't healthy. You know, you need no. you need to kind of leave it. You know, and um, you know, I think most sports people are obsessive, and I just thought, yeah. I need to leave that. You know, put some distance between me and the obsession. You know, sometimes. So, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I, I, and, I, I go out to play now. And do you move? Would you say you say sports people are obsessive? Like, I think Ellen would say that she's technically quite obsessive. I'm, I'm like training kind of perfection. Would you yeah. say your obsession is very much your your technical side of your game, or would yeah. you say it's more? And how much time and effort would you put into that technical side of the game? Probably too much, really, you know, because um, I think technically it's like a minefield. You go down there and you start looking for stuff and and, and sometimes you can go into the match and you're, you're, you're so technical in your thinking that you forget to just flow and play from instinct and play with your personality, you know. And, um, mm. you know, uh, and I think if you're overthinking, you, you can never get into that zone where... You're, like it's like a form of meditation where just everything's happening so quick and fast. So mm. um, I try not to. Uh, every now and again, I kind of fall into that sort of over-technical thinking. But um, yeah, listen, I'm, I, I, I think every shot I get down to play, I'm thinking of something technically in many ways. Every, you know, probably 25% of the time, it, there'll be no thinking going on at all because it's just like mm. pull the trigger and go. But you know, most of the time, you, there's there's always something I'm thinking of, or yeah. I'm taking into a game. You know, technically, which is yeah. it's a technical sport. You know, it's a bit like golf. You know, mm. if you're miss hitting that ball, it's not like a reactive sport where the ball's coming to you. You're 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 directing where that ball goes. So, you know, if you miss it, it, it is your fault really. So you have to yeah. kind of be able to put that nobody ball. else's mate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. that's, that's if that's you're to blame someone. Yeah. <laughs> Go on, else. I was going to say, do you then really overthink those missed shots? Like, does that then affect your next shot? Do you know what I mean? Um, yeah, but I've, I've I've worked a lot with, you probably mm. know him, Dr. Steve Peters. Um, yeah. yeah. So from 2011 um, up until this day, I'm, I'm pretty good at sort of boxing it, leaving it, not overanalyzing it yeah. and just trying to move on with the next shot. And I have found that, I've been much more consistent and much more relentless and much more of a serial winner because mm. I've adopted that attitude. You know, I've, I've, you know, yeah. So I think to become. Have you invested a lot of time in that as well? The the yeah. kind of the mental side of of the game yeah. and is that something that you you struggled with in the past yeah. or? Yeah, I think my my temperament was. I never used to understand what temperament was because. I used to think something about temper. Yeah, yeah. I used to think it's a bad temper. I think if you're showing a bad temper. 
and you're like smashing your cue, that's a bad temperament, like Macamo. But actually, yeah. I, I think a bad temperament is when you're not able to, you know, some like sometimes I'm sitting there and if I'm not kind of deleting the bad shot and moving on to the next shot and, and truly have put that, you know, to, to, to bed, I call that bad temperament. For me, a good yeah. temperament is when you make a mistake, you quickly dust yourself down and you get onto the next one. And with snooker, you don't, you don't, you know, it's, it, the culture of snookers, you don't smash your cue, you don't do this like mm. in other mm. sports do. So you kind of like, for me, a good temperament is when you're kind of, you know, you're able to delete that shot, move on to the next one and kind of turn a, maybe a, a slow start into a, you know, into a fast finish, you know, and you can only do that if you're kind of, you know, you're not dwelling on, on the negatives really, you know. Do you have like or think shots in advance? Um, sometimes the table dictates to you how you sort of need to sort of how you need to think. So if there's a couple of reds that I need to get off the cushion or something, then mm. obviously I'm thinking like what's the best ball to get on to get that out, yeah. you know. And, and every time I come to the table, I, I do not all the time, but most of the time, you think I want to clear up in one visit. So you are, yeah kind of forced into trying to sometimes look for that one shot that can win you the frame. So yeah. um, as for thinking shots ahead all the time, probably not. I kind of like make it up as I go along because it's like, <laughs> you know, it's a, it's a bit like waves, it redirects you sometimes. You get yeah, stuck yeah. in traffic and you go, hold on a minute, I better go this way now. And, yeah, <laughs> you know, you, you know, you know, you know, all you know is, is that I'm going to clear up, you know, how you go mm. about that sometimes is, um, that can change, you know. That's a great analogy, and I'm, I'm sure, like Ellen, when, when you're playing uh, football, you're thinking like two or three uh, passes ahead of yourself. And I, I definitely do when I'm obviously running my races. I'm looking ahead to try and map my kind of my success out. Yeah. Do you? Are you very much? Can you see a picture when you're when you're playing? Can you kind of see? Is a table your picture and your cues? Your kind of your your whatever it's a bit it's a bit like yeah. i suppose the the, 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 the snooker table is, is, is quite a big 12 by 6 so it's quite when you see it for the first time you think wow that's massive and the easiest way to explain it is the table shrinks when you're playing well it kind of becomes like a pool table and the pockets get bigger and you start to you start to take liberties with the game so most people go oh, i'm gonna pot that ball but i'm not thinking i'm gonna pot that ball i'm thinking i want to you know, there's, it's like you're, you're making angles and you're creating different angles that most players probably can't do. There's probably only mm. Judd Trump in the game that can create, you know, it's a bit like Tiger Woods with a golf. You know, he can draw the ball and play shots that no other golfer can play when he's on song. And um, and I think that that's sort of how I kind of play snooker, really, in many ways. Mm. You've, you've spoken out... Um about like talent that are coming into the game mm. and you've been quite critical about obviously younger players coming into into yeah. into the game itself what yeah. do you because I, I when when I heard that you you kind of have to analyze what obviously athletes and, and and fellow sportsmen say and do you think that is because is that a responsibility of you as the players to kind of bring the young talent in or is it the national governing body body to be more attractive to younger people do you think I was probably like being a bit harsh in, in saying that. And there was probably a part of me that was trying to sort of motivate the younger generation to kind of mm, go, well, let's yeah. show him what yeah. I'm going to do. Because I was always told as a kid, oh, you, you know, you're never going to... Every time I got criticised, it motivated me to yeah. prove people wrong. So maybe that's... I went the wrong way about it. But in general, I do think that the young players coming through are not as good as they was years ago. Um, there's a lot of people, 35, 40, 45, that I grew up coming through the game. You might not have heard of them, but they're very, very good players. They might be top 64, top 70, top 80 players, and they're still around. And you'd think that a lot of, you'd think there'd be a lot of teenagers coming around, you know, mm. taking the game by the scruff of the neck, and there isn't. I put that down to probably there isn't enough money put into the grassroots of snooker. Mm. So, you know, you'll know from your sport of football, you know, there's there's so much money involved in the sport yeah. that they're getting older, these kids at a young age, mm. and there's great academies and they're kind of, you know, they develop so quickly. Mm. Whereas in they're snooker... They're investing a lot. Yeah, well, whereas in snooker now, you'll, you'll be very hard pushed to find 
a snooker club. So a lot of these mm. kids, it's not like it was when I was a kid. I had probably seven or eight snooker clubs within three or four mile radius of my house. Wow. Now the nearest snooker club is probably 20 miles from my house. Um, so if there was a thousand snooker clubs in the 80s, there's probably about 20 now. So you can see that there's just not the places for them to go and play. The opportunities, yeah. There's no amateur mm. game because there isn't. There's no competitions. I was playing probably three competitions a week when I was 11, 12. Um, now you might find one every six, seven weeks or eight weeks. One. So I was playing 24 competitions to what, to what, in in that spell where they will only get the chance to play one. So can you imagine mm. how match sharp and how much I've learned? You can only learn practice will only take you so far. It's in yeah. competition and competing yeah. week, week out that you you really fine tune yourself. So that has to be the reason why mm. the younger generation are not really developing like we we did. And so that's not a criticism as them. It's just that there's just no. opportunity opportunities for people for them to learn from. You know. Mm. And is there any is there any um, up and coming players that you've got your eye on at the moment? Is there? Um, there's there's a, there's a couple. I like this guy called Louis Heathcote. Um, he's he's a good player. There's another one called Aaron Hill from Ireland, who I think has got very very good potential. Um, there's a there's one or two other ones that that that, that are UK based that could be decent. So you've got probably four quite good young kids from the UK, and then you have like. Quite, quite a big batch of good Chinese players because they have sort of mm. invested in the younger generation. They have some very, very good academy, academies in China and they've come over and they're, and they're doing well, but they're probably not doing as well as they could do. Um, and, I, and, 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 they, and they could do a lot better. I mean, because the language barrier for them is very hard. So there's one kid, he, for me, he's the most talented snooker player I've ever seen. I call him the Roger mm. Federer, the snooker. <laughs> he, he, he hardly wins a match because he just doesn't know the game. He doesn't, he doesn't, mm. you know, and, and I've tried to talk to him and he quickly gets it, but it's very hard because there's that language bar barrier. Yeah. But, you know, it's so Get an interpreter, mate. Get an interpreter. Yeah. That's it's it. not that easy, though. It's really not easy because when you're mm. trying to explain something, yeah, sometimes yeah. it can get lost in that thing, you know. He yeah, will yeah. learn, but I get really frustrated with him because I think he could be, like, unplayable, you know. But, yeah. Well, what's that lad's name? Uh, Zhao Zintong and he's such a talented player but you know he probably won't even ever ever do anything just because you know he needs someone that's experienced mm. in the game just to just to like you know sharpen him up a little bit you know yeah be a mentor yeah you said about you said about like money and like investing in like grassroots and like we've seen yeah. like in recent years like cricket darts like changing formats is that something that you see snooker aiming for like making more more Appealing, like moving in that similar direction of changing something. Um, yeah, I, it's, it's, it's really quite. Um, it's hard. It's hard to know what whether snooker has hit its max. Whether it's mm. you know in the eighties it was a it was a very very big sport. You know, it was, yeah. uh, it was huge. Uh, so to think, will it ever get back to there? I just don't think it will. I think it's it's kind of plateaued out really, and it's. It's a bit like darts. It's got to that certain level, and it's it's mm. not a global sport. It's not it's not your foot. It's not you know most kids play football at school. They play tennis. They play golf. That's that's the chosen sport for for a lot mm. of kids. So snooker and darts have kind of found their sort of uh, maxed out. I think maybe. Yeah. You know, I think they. I, I always talk about like seeing is believing. I've sort of spoke about it like four or five times on the podcast. Do you think that's also like if you're if if like snooker's like lost on like Eurosport or not on terrestrial mm. TV anymore, do you think that's that's an issue? Or? Yeah, I definitely think if it was more on terrestrial TV, it would um, yeah be be much more. You know, maybe more people would get in, get into it. But like I say, I think it's really hard. You know, because most kids want to play football. They, they, they that's just what they want to do. You know, they see mm. Messi, they see Ronaldo. And that's who they want to be, you know. They see Tiger Woods, they see Roger Federer, they see Nadal, and they just think that's who I want to be. You know, if I was a kid, would I want to be Rafa Nadal or John Higgins or Ronnie O'Sullivan? I want to be Rafa Nadal or Tiger. Well, they might do with the new thoroughbred. You Do you see what I'm saying? It's, yeah, it's really yeah. hard, you know, um, for them to sort of aspire to want to be a snooker player. And 
I don't know, they see these iconic moments, Messi playing and, and Tiger Woods doing what he does, you know? How, how do you think um, they, they could open the game up to, obviously, attract more people to, to watch or play? How do you think they could? Um... I, th- I, th- I think it's. I think it's like obviously now it's on Eurosports all over Europe. China have taken a massive interest in snooker. Uh, I, just, I just, I don't know. I just think it's like I said. I think it's plateaued out in a way. I think. Mm. Um, I think you know you you need to to spice the sport up a little bit. You know, yeah. if if you've got a great sponsor, you know, add a bit of glamour to it. Maybe. What know? about a bikini? Bikini snooker or something. <laughs> yeah, can you imagine but that? Matt, so, so me and you go and see like Barry Hearn and like go look, we we've got a new concept, bikini oh. snooker. What do you reckon? Yeah, I wouldn't go to him because he'd probably do it as well. He'd go, that's a good <laughs> that'd, be me, that'd be me retired. <laughs> get my airy bum out in front of everyone. <laughs> I, was, I was actually going to say, like, obviously you're you're quite eccentric when you're playing. You're quite vibrant. Like, would you want it? You know snooker to be more colorful obviously you're always in the suits but would you want something that's like a bit of freedom for everybody's personality a bit of individuality within dress code or something like completely different yeah i think i think really every sport needs characters you know you look at yeah. you look at athletics look at usain bolt a huge character massive personality uh, F- F- uh nadal and federer and people like that they bring their own sort of stuff with it and i think with snooker a lot of them you know there isn't a lot of personality there you know and i think it's tough isn't it (laughs) it's it's very tough yeah and i was like you know it'd be great for them to just come out and just you know just give it a little bit you know and i I don't mean to be flash or arrogant but just play with a bit of personality play the Mm. game express yourself look like you're enjoying it you know don't look like it's a pint of blood or you're standing there and you're like, you know, you're like welds on your shoulders. Go out there yeah. and let, let it rip. Give it That's a go. Good. You know, I'm doing that inside and, I, and, and inside I'm yeah. getting excited. I, I love the game. I'm like a little kid. The minute, the minute I stop mm. getting excited by the game and you have to tone that down because if I was, if I was to show that excitement, people would go, oh, look, you can't, you can't play like that. But inside I'm excited, but you just have to tone it down a bit. But, I'm still playing with personality. I'm still playing the game and I'm on my toes and I'm bouncing and I'm thinking and I'm, you know, whereas I look, mm. look at some of these other players and they're like, they're like dead. You know, I think where, yeah. where's your, where's your, where, you know, you need a good kick up the bum, liven yeah. yourself up, you know? Is that from yeah. like the heritage just of snooker then? Just of the years gone by? Um, I think I think I think Steve Davis ruined the game in the eighties when he came along because he was <laughs> <laughs> everybody else to play had a, had a laugh and a joke and a bit of personality and Davis come along and he just sort of like he's got he was just like he was just like a robot and and as a person he's got he's got personality but on the table yeah. it was just like you know emotionless sips his water mm. didn't talk didn't show any emotion and that became the new snooker player if you like you know so we all become like Steve Davis clones. But actually, I think snooker in the eighties was was buzzing because you had Terry Griffiths with his with his little hairstyle and Willie Fawn with his little moustache and you know big big Bill Werbnick, you know, and you had so many characters. I just think people could relate to them characters. Now, yeah. like I said, there is none of it. You know, you, I mean, all of the snooker players are nice people when you speak to them off the table. But on the table, you think, mate, you know, like give me something. You know, yeah. I was gonna say like <laughs> I was gonna say like feed off like energy. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah, give they them something. Got no, they just go down. They pop balls. They play well. Shake hands. See you later. Good luck. You know. And it's like yeah. you know, there's there's. I'm sure there's some passion in there somewhere, but they just don't know. They just don't play play with enough of it. I think. I mean, you watch, Tiger, you-, you watch Tiger always play golf, and you know he's, mm. he's he's got something about him. You know, he's yeah. got attitude. He's he's a bit gangster on the golf course. And, mm. You know, I'm not saying everyone's got to be like Tiger because you are what you are, but then you've got other characters, you know, that got the little, like Bubba Watson, you know, he's a character. So you kind of like, you know, you need them in sport, I think, and snooker just doesn't have enough of them, I think, you know. We well, are definitely one of them, obviously, pink nail varnish for, for breast cancer awareness. And yeah, like that, you know, that's great to see yeah. someone like supporting like high profile and, and wanting to show it. Mm. Just yeah, want to show your personality as well and be really supportive of a, of amazing amazing cause as well. Yeah, no, absolutely. Listen, I think as I've got older, um, I'm a lot more relaxed about you know mm. 
stuff so like if someone asked me to do it i was like yeah why not it's a great cause and i don't feel like i've got anything left to prove in the game yeah. so i'm a, i'm you know i'm much more easily persuaded to do stuff that i probably wouldn't even dreamed of doing 20 years ago when i was starting out because because at 20 i'd have probably felt a little bit embarrassed and thought oh i can't do that but i'm 45 mm. now and i think i actually don't really care i think it's a great <laughs> cause and yeah. you know, if i'm gonna be part of a great cause bloody fantastic you know what i mean yeah. if i go out there and i get beat four nil who cares? It doesn't really matter. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> 22, 23, I'd have probably been like, oh, no, I can't do that, you know, but yeah. too subconscious. So I think that comes as you get a bit older, a bit more comfortable in yourself. So, yeah, listen, I, I, you know, I'm not afraid to do stuff like that, but it would be With great. that wallpaper, mate, with that wallpaper, you must be like comfortable. <laughs> I'm going to sit in the back of your office. That's a little piece, just a little piece. Just, yeah, just, just, just a little just, piece of my wallpaper. <laughs> frame, frame it. <laughs> we we mentioned uh, about um, Barry Hearn uh, previously. Yeah. Do you think he's do you think he's changed uh, the world of cricket for for the good cricket. or bad? It's not cricket. What am I talking about, man? <laughs> I, I've got cricket on the brain, man. Snooker. <laughs> yeah, maybe he's going into cricket. Uh, they've got world exclusive. He's going into cricket yeah. now. It's like the IPL. Yeah. <laughs> um, do I think he's changed? I think the, the thing is, I think he's he's just a number cruncher at the end of the day. He's an accountant and he's yeah. took snooker over and he's kind of gone, right, you know, there's loads of tournaments, but at the end of the mm. day, um, it's just about, you know, does it make a profit at the end of the day? And I, yeah. I, I personally think um, there could be a lot more invested in better venues, better structures, but yeah. there isn't there isn't a fantastic money in the sport. So I understand no. it's not an easy thing to do, mm. but I just think, you know, sometimes it's, um, that's the problem when you have someone that owns the sport and runs the sport and is mm. making a profit out of it. A lot of the yeah. stuff as a sports person that you really love about the sport don't always you don't get that so much now you know you go to the venues you could you know they're not as good as we used to play in so f for me it's, it's like you know you get good snooker venues and bad snooker venues and a leisure center isn't as uh, anywhere near as good to play in as it is yeah. for a theater but a theater costs more money um you know and it's just it's just so it, again it's like why am i going to go and play that for a theater when i can put a snooker table in a leisure center so yeah. they're the kind of things that i kind of struggle with a bit because you go to the crucible and it's an amazing uh amazing place to play at you know um but then you go to like crawley leisure center and you just think like <laughs> what what are we where are we you know or, 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 or milton Keynes football ground and you're like wow you know this is this isn't where you really want to be mm. playing snooker you know so no, no. i think that's that's probably the only problem with with snooker is that obviously the person running it is also running it from a business perspective yeah. so i don't blame him because obviously he's running a business but um you know sometimes i think if you look at golf and tennis and, and sports like that there isn't that conflict of interest you know so the players mm. have a player's say and the, and the people running the game are not running it for profit they're running it to run it as and try and run it to uh, and give it a bit make it a great sport you know um great venues and stuff like that so yeah, it's a, it's a little bit of a tricky one, but it is what it is. And, yeah, there is a lot more playing opportunities, but I'd rather see less playing opportunities, but maybe a bit more class put back into the sport, yeah. if that makes sense. Yeah, better venues, right? Mm. Yeah. So, so you've obviously, you've got personality. Um, and, like, how would you describe yourself within the snooker world? Obviously, I've heard the two Ronnies use. Like, like what's your take on that? Because, obviously, you want to be essentially you want to have personality but what yeah what's your take on it uh what on how i kind of see oh, like, like yeah how just perceived, how yeah. yeah yeah how you're perceived um it's very hard i mean sometimes the way i feel like i get perceived i think are they talking about me you know what i mean because i just think i'm not hmm. i'm not going out there to to do any i think i think what what they i don't know i just i just kind of think I don't know. I don't know. It's very hard to observe yourself or kind of look outside and go, oh, yeah, you know, because mm. you're just doing what you do. And I don't yeah. really read a lot about what they say about mm. me because obviously when you're playing, you can't watch yourself at the same time. So yeah. I don't actually watch a lot of my games or, or all that sort of stuff. But I just think sometimes they're looking for someone 
in that sport that they can kind of build up and kind of, you know, it's easy to, to sort of peg something onto someone. And I think yeah. they've done it with Alex Higgins. They've done it with Jimmy Wyatt. They've done it kind of with Steve Davis, in that, like, you know, Steve interest in Davis. So they're always trying to find characters within the sport. And I think snooker is a little bit thin on the ground of that. And I think that they've had a good run with me um, in many ways since I was 17. So what, 27 years of Ronnie's the bad boy of snooker. He's a bit controversial, but actually I'm not really that controversial, mm. but they're not interested in uncontroversial people. So they make you out to be this kind of person that I'm actually not. So when people meet me and they go, you know what, you're not actually what I thought you would be. And I'll go, and I'll get that so many times because they yeah. think I'm going to be some like monster. You go, oh, some like lunatic, you know, and I've met him and he's a nice guy, but I mean, <laughs> I'm not, I'm not this crazy person that they've kind of portrayed mm. me to be. But I think, it doesn't suit them for me to be ro ro yeah. boring Ronnie. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, they, mm -hmm. they ain't going to get his headlines in the paper. Let's, let's turn mm -hmm. him into be some like psychopath who's mm -hmm. like got these real bad mental issues and he's this dark character. I'm like, I'm not actually that person mm -hmm. at all, really. I just, I'm just like Ellen, like you say, I'll, I'll get stuck down in the technical side of it. And yeah. sometimes it, it, it nags away at me. And, it, and I call it snooker depression because mm -hmm. I get depressed by not being able to play the sport fantastic every day but i've learned to accept mm. now that snooker is a really hard sport and sometimes it feels easy mm. <laughs> do, you, do you see what i'm saying but it's you yeah know, yeah um, so yeah i think they like to to turn you into this character that you're not always that you're not always necessarily are if that makes sense mm. is that something you've um suffered from then anxiety and depression would you say, would you say oh i've had loads of it oh mate yeah. i've had so much i've been on yeah i've had so much anxiety and stress and yeah i call it snooker depression you know it's kind of like in and and sometimes when the anxiety the, the depression comes first and then the anxiety follows probably about mm. three or four weeks later and i'm very aware now to try and nip it in the bud before it gets to anxiety because yeah. i always think anxiety is worse than depression depression yeah. you, a bit, you know you feel a bit gloom and doom but anxiety kind of gr grips you and you kind of like you get like stage fright i don't know if you've yeah. had it before yeah. we've been out there and you're like i can't go i can't perform mm. Yeah. And, um, you know, you can feel, you know, and, and sometimes, you know, I can not even be playing snooker and feel like that. It's just a build up, just mm. gets so much mm. that you just, and then you like, you, you, you crack up. So, yeah, I've, I've had, I've had my experiences with stuff like that. And I'm just a lot better now at mm. not letting it get to that place. You know, yeah. I'll go out and have a run. I go and cook food. I, I, I make time for my friends and I have, you know, I have a much more balance in my life. But like I said, I can do that now. I'm 45. 25 years ago i couldn't have done it because i still no. was young and i was hungry and i wanted to you know be as successful as i could be and you know and but now i'm like i don't really care you know i'm just much more relaxed about it so yeah would you say that that running one of your your passions kind of away from from snooker then or do you have any other um, passions that to unwind, like cooking. Obviously, come on, you need to, this needs to be an insight. Well. Come on, remember, <laughs> no, remember, I know, I know. <laughs> definitely, definitely, running was a was a huge, massive thing for me. So I started running like two thousand and four, and that became a massive stress reliever for me for snooker. So like, I play snooker, and you know, probably if I didn't play great, but then I'd go for a run. So it turned an average day into like a great day, if that if that mm, makes sense. Yeah. Um, and yeah, and I've got into cooking and I've got into quite a few things. But yeah, so, you know, I think keep, keep fit as whether that's running, going to the gym, whatever it's doing, just moving the body has been a, a great thing for me because snooker, you are, you're sort of stuck in a room, no light, no no outside light, no fresh air. Yeah. So I think it's always good to, to try and do the opposite of what you put yourself through most days, you know. Is it also true you wrote three crime books as well? Is that true? Yeah, yeah. There was um, a friend of mine was a was um, is a writer, and he kind of like he liked the idea of like my 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 story. Basically, he was sort of like you know he knew I was spent a lot of time around Soho, and and you know he knew I knew a lot of characters, and we just kind of just got together and just said, well, let's let's write a, a book, semi sort of autobiographical, basically. Yeah. And he'd sit down and we'd just chat about stuff, and you know it was it was good because like you know I never got involved in anything like that so it was great to you know put put something like that together so yeah it was good good fun that's an awesome it's awesome string to your bow isn't it 
Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, it was great. So if we look look at you as legacy wise, um, mm. have you got a statue? You must have a statue by now, right? <laughs> <laughs> have you got, yeah, you, I've got a statue you, of the church you outside me. <laughs> 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 I'm expecting a statue outside the Crucible, like in Sheffield somewhere. No? No, nah, not yet. Not yet. Yeah, not yet. Not yet. Not yet. I think. Yeah. And how would you, how would you like to be how would you like to be remembered if you um just someone that uh, loved his sport, played played with a passion, you know, um yeah, just 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 enjoyed what he does, you know, played 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 from the heart, you know, and just mm. give it his all and you know, yeah, I was just, yeah, just, yeah, that I just, yeah, just, I just think like I've had a lot of love from a lot of the snooker fans from day one, really, you know, and I never went out there to, to, to be uh, loved by the fans. I just went out there and played my game, and and then over the years, you kind of, you know, a lot of the, like, the fans gravitate to you. So if I go to like Scotland. And you know that they're, they're like rooting for you to win, even though you're playing a Scottish play. You think, well, that's you know, and you know, I've got, I've got and, and you know, and, and like China and places you travel, you know, to have that support from the fans mm. is, is, is such a nice feeling, you know. So I look back at my career and go, I've obviously gave a lot of happiness to a lot of snooker fans. You know, that's Supporting. they're my core, core supporters. You know, they love the sport, they love the game, and and they love watching me play. So I go, you know what, mm. for snooker, I've been you know, I feel that love as well, you know, so I'd like to think that um, we've done it together, really, you know, me and the fans. It's been great. Mate, I've just had a, a text from my mate. I'm not going to tell you who he is. Yeah. But, uh, but uh, he says, because well, I, you know, I mentioned that I was, um, um, got, we, we got you on the podcast tonight. Yeah. And he says, can you ask him a question? He's put £20 on you being in I'm a Celebrity as he wasted his money. <laughs> he's wasted his money, mate. Mate, mate, I'm glad because he's really tight as well. Yeah. He, still me, he still owes me a pint from about five years ago. I won't tell him that. I'll wait yeah, until it's on the podcast. A pound a week, isn't he? he ain't even going to give you the 20 up front if he's that tight. <laughs> you can't let go of that £20 note. That's it, mate. He's one of those. He's one of those guys from Derby. We all know him. Um, yeah. Mate, we're really obviously pleased that you one came on the podcast, and uh, it's great to kind of get an insight uh, from you. And we know that you've got um, obviously lots more kind of tournament wins in your bag. To finish okay. off, we actually, we actually have uh, something called ten questions, and these are ten qu- quick fire questions that we ask everybody that's on the podcast. Okay. And um, yeah, do you want to start, Els? Yeah, I'll go for it. Okay. So, first question is track or ball? Track. Yeah, I tell you, I tell you, tracks winning must be about one. One, I've had one person say ball. That says ball. Really? <laughs> yeah. I really should have said ball because I play snooker. I like football, okay. but actually, okay, let's pretend. Let's pretend. Like my, my big love running. So yeah, I'll give, I'll give you that. I'll give you that. Sorry. <laughs> what's What's your uh, greatest accomplishment in your life so far? Uh, Anything. Thirty four minutes for a ten k. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Nice. Yeah. Okay. Second one. Do you believe in ghosts? No. No. Not at all. No. No. That was straight. That was a straight up one. We we normally have people that go, oh, I'm not spiritually. Yeah, I like or... that. Just straight to the point. I like. Do you want yeah. me to yeah. kind of go into a bit of detail with these answers? Is it just quick? Oh no. Stuff? No. Yeah. yeah, yeah but if if, yeah. if there's a, if there's a story behind it though, if there's like a creepy story, story behind it. Like, yeah. Yeah. No. No. Don't believe in ghosts. <laughs> So what's the what's the biggest risk you've ever taken? Uh, biggest risk I've in ever, your life, yeah. Biggest risk I've ever taken. Um, oh, now you got me. Uh, <laughs> oh, it's a really hard one to to answer. Um, Are you a risk taker? Are you like? No, I'm not. That's the thing. I don't. And and even if it did seem like a risk, I always it didn't seem like one for me. If you know what I'm saying, mm. so. I mean, every day I go and play snooker, just the way I play, it's sort of like people go, oh, that's a bit risky and this and that, but I just think it's not really. But I don't, it's such a hard question. Um, what's the biggest risk I've ever taken? Yeah, yeah. in your life. Ah, okay, right. Um, I suppose just trying to walk on fire once. 
Mate, I've never taken taken a risk. Never taken a risk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know when you go on one of them like retreats and they kind of like you meant to empower yourself. At the end of it, they go, "You can walk on the fire." Yeah. And I, and I walked across this fire twice, and I was like, "Sweet!" So I, I'd done it the third time, and. I weren't quite pumped and I ended up blistering <laughs> with all my feet. Oh. <laughs> I got all the that was horrible. I've done the firewalk. That was brilliant. Yeah, Mate, I'd be, I'd be awesome at that. I wouldn't burn my feet at all. <laughs> oh, oh that's brilliant. God. That's awesome. Yeah, that's the biggest okay. risk I took, yeah. <laughs> oh, God. Okay, the next one is can you sing? Badly. Okay, so like ca karaoke, like what, what, oh, what should nah. you go to? No, no, never, no. Ne I don't even bother. It's so bad. <laughs> I'm, I'm quite, I'm quite good at impressions. You know, like okay, go on then. Go on, give an impression then. Go on then. It's really hard to do it. You know when people put put you on the spot. They <laughs> said to me, she's go and do it, and I go, no, 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 I can't do it. But actually, when I do do them, they're, they're not bad. So, um, but singing, I'm terrible. Yeah. Singing, go on, I'm give terrible. us one impression. You must have one. Go on, you go to. You shouldn't have said it now. I, mean, yeah. I can't. I can't really put it on me. I'm no good. I, I just have to come. It has to come. Maybe I can get one out before the end of the show. Okay. Okay. Right. <laughs> when are you the happiest? Um, when am I the happiest? After I've had a nice run through the forest, seven, eight miles, or I've finished a session. That for me is when I'm at my most relaxed and chilled and happy. Free. Yeah, mate. Yeah. Okay. What's the silliest thing you've ever got upset about? Uh, silliest thing I've ever got upset about. Um, mm, uh, oh dear, uh, I can't think. Mine's if you know, if I'm in a rush and I drop something, I'm like, and I've got to clear that up before I go out. Or my little lad, like, we get everything, we're going for school, and then he's got everything ready, 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 and he goes, Dad, I want a wee. I'm like, Phew. <laughs> that's what, that's what, mate, he always does it he's in the car seatbelt on yeah. dad I need a wee I'm like come on son yeah, you're killing I think, me yeah I, think, yeah I think sometimes with the kids I get a little bit impatient with them you know sometimes you're like oh come on uh, where do you see yourself in the next 10 years so 10 years time where do you see yourself 10 years time probably I don't know probably probably living in a hot country somewhere I think I've always sort of, I love the good weather, I love the sun. I don't get a chance to go away much, but when I do go away, I find myself a lot happier and more relaxed when I'm in the sun somewhere, you know, where you can just wear your shorts, T-shirt, flip-flops and not, yeah, I find over here, it's the weather, the weather gets a bit, takes its toll sometimes. It's shitty yeah. today, isn't it? It's wet and yeah, nasty. It's awful, and... it's awful, but um, yeah, probably in a hot country somewhere, maybe. Yeah, that sounds good. Like, how would your closest friends describe you? Um, uh, quite, quite laid back, quite relaxed, quite unconfrontational, quite easygoing. Yeah, yeah. I think that's a cool guy. Sounds, yeah, sounds good. Oh, I don't have cool, but yeah. <laughs> and the last one, mate. Uh, what's your greatest fear in life? My greatest fear. Um, was flying i've kind of overcome that fear but i used to be apps really really bad uh, and i've not overcome it i've just found little little game that if the turbulence comes that i just quickly go to it and it kind of like it distracts me from um yeah. from feeling like i'm going to be falling out of the sky in this in a big jumbo jet my greatest fear is that you're not doing an impression by the end of the podcast one what we need I one. Can't, I can't. <laughs> what about Noel Gallagher? What about Noel Gallagher? Can you do a no, Noel Gallagher no, impression? I'm not, good, I'm not good with Noel. I'm not good with Noel. Um, I can't, Rich. You put it on me. I, I'm no good under pressure. Mate, send me one later. Send me one I'll later. Send you one later. And I'll send it to Ellen. Okay. Mate, you're absolute diamond, mate. It's been awesome. No, yes. Thank, um, you. thank you. And I, I think obviously the audience will then warm to you more than they actually do now because they've got a real insight of who you uh, actually are. So thank you. Uh, no, thank, thank you, you so much, Ronnie. No worries. Nice to meet you, Els. So that was amazing uh, to speak to Ronnie um, and obviously for him to what come on our pod... I know. <laughs> um, for him to come on our podcast, you know, he rarely kind of speaks on podcasts or to the media or anything. So, uh, yeah, it was uh, incredible to hear his story, um, his first kind of 
um, starting in how he started snooker, um, his life, and for me, like first impressions, what a lovely guy. Um, yeah. You know, I've, I've, I know a little bit about him, but it was just, it was just so intriguing, and he's really open and honest, and um, yeah, I, I just found him so fascinating, and I think you know the the viewers will will really kind of love this episode, hopefully. And you kind of really understand that the whole circus of what Ronnie O'Sullivan's about didn't actually make him happy at all. And no. he said that he was happier being boring. And <laughs> for those young athletes out there that are aspiring to be high-performance athletes, it's about the enjoyment of the game, doing it because you love it, and not chasing the money and all the accolades. I think for him, he was, he was more content just playing the game and enjoying it instead of winning the world titles and getting the platform that unfortunately has created all these issues for him with the the drugs, the alcohol, the breakdown in relationships. Do you know what, what really, um, for me, brought home how important us doing these podcasts is that we can connect with sportsmen and women, but also let them use it as a bit of a platform to educate the the viewer and the listener about themselves and what's important oh definitely um you know that's that's what we wanted for when we first started doing track and ball podcasts we obviously we we love hearing stories from both sportsmen and women but it's also for the viewers out there to to come away with something it's their podcast it's their podcast um <laughs> and hopefully with listening to this one um when we're speaking to ronnie hopefully there'll be so many takeaways and um hearing ronnie in a different light as well i think that's that's incredible in his bedroom well. with that wallpaper <laughs> you love that I, wallpaper I'm like, I'm not, I you're like obsessed some. about it I'm, but yeah I to, yeah i need to get some <laughs> he, he said that he's going to send me some in the post it's not come yet <laughs> I think and the last thing is the last thing as well was just his love for his fans. I think that was so lovely to hear. Like he loves his fans just as much as his fans love him, and I think that was a really lovely kind of kind of ending for it as well. Really, so um, I think that was really important. Um, and when I speak yeah, no... to like my yeah, with my mates about Ronnie O'Sullivan, they all they all warmly talk about the impact that he has on on sport, not just um, snooker. And he's just been nominated for Sports Personality in the year 2000, which is awesome. And to have him on the on the podcast uh, before that has been great. And it shows, even in a pandemic, you can still have a massive impact on the sports community. And um, without any fans, he still can connect. And even some of his messages, I know they have been controversial in the it, it, over the over the period around who's the greatest sportsman and and I, I did hear him trumping on one of his last games <laughs> which is quite funny but that's Ronnie this, Ron, yeah. Ronnie is he is himself and I think he's more at home with who he is in 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 the game of snooker at the moment and uh, for those that are watching obviously the podcast that was him and I've taken things away that that hopefully I can implement in my my career as it as it winds down, and uh, I'm sure you had things that you can, you've learned from obviously that that 45 minutes to an hour that we had with him. 100. Um, percent Yeah, and we thank everyone for kind of listening and and um, yeah, joining us on this journey really of Track and Ball Podcast. Um, yeah, follow us on all socials, um, subscribe to to our YouTube channel, and we're looking forward to to having a live as well next week. So make sure you follow us and, and come over and, and watch as well. So yeah, thank you so much for your support. And uh, yeah, we'll see you for the next episode soon. Cross comes in, White with the header. And here comes Whitehead. It's gold for Great Britain. 